Of the Ultimate Fight Show. I'm your host, LC, and with me as always is the Bragg Man, Chris Bragg. How you doing out there in Columbia, South Carolina? I'm doing pretty well, man. Uh, holding my breath a little bit, waiting to see what Hurricane Matthew does, but uh, so far, so far, we're doing okay. How are you? I'm doing all right. I saw a picture uh, that was in the USA Today of a meteorologist that took a picture of the storm, and they didn't Photoshop it. I'll send it to you. And it's all, and it looks like a skeleton, like a devil's face. It's kind of strange. I think it's going to be a bad storm. I hope Jenny and the kids are uh, going to be okay down there. But the show must must go on. So uh, you're listening to the Ultimate Fight Show. If you want to call in, the number is one six five seven three eight three one four one two. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and all your best social medias. Greg, tell them about that. Of course, it's easy to, easy to find us online. We're at facebook.com slash the ultimate fight show. On Twitter, it's the alt fight show. Uh, Instagram, you can find us there where LC will post his shenanigans there. It's at the ultimate fight show there. And of course, you Woo! can find us at YouTube at the ultimate fight show. And you can follow me personally at the brag man. You can follow LC at LC the third. That's T H E I I I. Absolutely. <clears throat> okay, let's uh, let's start off the show with a little recap from the UFC fight night. Now, that was uh, the Lineker Dawson, and uh, there was a little, actually surprisingly good card. I was uh, I saw the highlights. I actually didn't watch the whole event. But uh, Bragg, what did you see uh, from just the event overall before we get into the recap of the fight? Well, like you, I didn't actually get to see the the, the whole show. Um, I saw the highlights after the fact, and it really did look like a, a surprisingly uh, exciting show. Uh, one that we we thought would have a few good fights on it, but we weren't having didn't have high expectations. We only previewed, I think, three or four fights on the entire card last week, but uh, I think it exceeded expectations. And those are the fights, and those are the events that really the UFC sort of counts on. I mean, everybody looks at the pay-per-views and knows that they mostly deliver. Uh, these fight night shows that get thrown in there, it's really important for them to uh, come out and really put on a good show. So uh, I think they delivered that, and I think uh, it came away pretty pretty positive. Absolutely. We called four fights. We'll start with the flyweight division. Brandon Morano was taking on Lewis Smolka, both Bragg, and myself picked Smolka to win. And in the, you know, Moreno, Moreno had other plans as he uh, put 
21 strikes on Smolka. Smolka answered back, Bragg, with 17 of his own, but he couldn't he couldn't stop the first – I mean, he did stop the first submission attempt, couldn't stop the second one, and Moreno gets the guillotine choke in the first round. Solid win for Brandon Moreno with and a little bit of a slight upset. Yeah, absolutely. I believe Moreno even came in on short notice. I'll have to double-check my notes to see. Yeah, he, he replaced Sergio Pettis a, a week out from that fight. So uh, congratulations to Brandon Moreno, who – really made a statement and probably earned himself a contract with the USC. Yeah, good for him. Um, really, really nice job. Joshua Berkman was taking on Zach Ottawa. This was a welterweight fight, and this was just a barn burner. These guys decided to stand toe-to-toe, um, albeit from a submission attempt from Ottawa, but 80 strikes to 50, so they threw 130 landed punches, and in the end, the judges saw fit to give Zach Ottawa the close split decision over Berkman. You and I both thought Berkman would win by unanimous decision. Did the did the refs get it right? I mean, did the judges get it right here? Because I kind of thought that Berkman won the fight. I thought he landed the harder punches. Yeah, and that's one of those. That was one of those fights that you really can't argue anyway. Personally, I had it for Berkman two rounds to one. Uh, but I can see the argument for Zach Otto uh, getting that Duke there. It was just a very close, close fight. And these two guys, it's, it's one of those situations. Berkman is a veteran. Otto, a youngster coming up. Um, again, Otto was another one of those guys who was replacing um, – uh, he was coming in on like a week's notice. So he was replacing Bobby Green. So, again, another guy – getting a shot at the UFC and making the most of it. Um, congratulations to Zach Otto coming out with the W. Absolutely. Uh, the co-main event, Will Brooks, ranked by the Ultimate Fight Show. Going into that, he was number nine, I believe. We had him at lightweight against Alex Oliveira. Now, this was a weird fight from the beginning because Oliveira came in extra heavy. He actually weighed in, I think, 10 pounds over the limit and Brooks still decided to fight him, and it wasn't good. And in the end, Olivier was just he, – he was just not gassed, you know, from having to train and cut the weight, and he was able to put it really on Brooks in the third round and knock him out of there. Uh, Brad, what do, you, what do you think about this, and, and what is the UFC going to do to combat some of this stuff? Because, again, you know, in a sport where – you have to cut weight, and fighters have certain allotted amounts of time to do this. And, you know, they have little 15-day check-ins in boxing and 30 days, and I'm sure the UFC has some similar protocol. But my question to you, Greg, is it's happened enough times where the one fighter will come in heavy, the other one gets a percentage of his purse. But, again, these guys don't make a lot of money in the UFC. Is it worth the risk or the label you know, being – like, you know, can't a uh, chicken shit for, for not taking the fight. It's kind of a double-edged sword. What do you think? Yeah, in the public perception, you know, that that's that would be tough for a guy like Will Brooks, who is a world-class fighter, uh, to say no to Alex Oliveira in that fight. In a situation like that, Oliveira missed weight. And, and as you mentioned, they do check in. I think I believe on Tuesday nights, on the first Saturday night fight, is when they have to check in 
to the uh, with the UFC, and I believe they have to be within 10 percent of their uh, weight cut at that contractual weight. That yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure what happened there. Oliveira, as you mentioned, came in overweight, uh, took advantage, and Will Brooks. I, to me, I thought he did a a good job. Uh, it was a decent fight going in. Will Brooks had a no-win situation, or a no-lose situation, I guess, for that matter. I don't think it's going to hurt a stock very much. Again, Oliveira um, came in heavy, uh, was able to land the heavier punches in the third round, uh, and, and that's what happens, I think, Will Brooks. I, I commend any fighter because, as you said, they have no obligation to take that fight at all because Oliveira broke the contract that they signed months ago. I've always stated that a fighter's primary job is to make weight. That's what you're supposed to do is make weight. And a lot of fighters will tell you the hard work is in the training and in the making weight. The fighting is the fun part. The fighting is the reward at the end of the uh, training camp, so to speak. So I'm not sure what happened there. What can you do other than find these guys um, – you know, financially uh, for missing weight because it does happen, and it, it's a tough it's a tough position to put uh, the fighters in and the UFC in. Yeah, I mean, and, and you said, you know, you hit the nail on the head when you said that, you know, it's a fighter's job to cut weight to be at a certain weight. If you're not at the weight, then essentially it's just like a street fight just like two random people deciding and there's no advantage, but the, 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 the true art of mar beauty of martial arts comes out when both fighters at equal weight, then you get to see the disciplines, you know, that mythical pound for pound actually happens. And that's why they have weight classes. I think Michael Strahan said it best when asked about, you know, his job and stuff. And he said that I, they pay me to practice. Monday through Saturday, I do Sunday for me. So, you know, that's uh, that's how these athletes need to approach that kind of fight. Let's get to the main event now. Um, bantamweight fight, John Dotson, John Lineker, the two Johns, both moving up from flyweight. We had him ranked, uh, I believe we had him ranked at seven and six and seven at bantamweight. Uh, they used to be ranked at flyweight. Now, Brad, you picked Dawson by UD. I picked Lineker by split decision. And in the end, Lineker got the close split decision. Although Dawson landed seven more significant strikes, Lineker's punches seem to be the harder ones. Brad, what do, what do you think about this fight, and what's the future hold for John Lineker moving forward? Again, it was one of those toss-up decisions that I, I really can't argue either way. Uh, John Dawson... You know, I picked him going in. I think he's still a, a challenger and a mighty a suitable contender in that division. But Lineker got the big win. Um, so he'll move on here uh, and move up in the rankings that we'll discuss in a little bit. But um, very close fight. I could see these guys doing it again down the line and possible title eliminator or, you know, maybe Lineker moves up. Uh, gets a title shot, win or lose, John Dobson moves up as well. And, you know, I could see them definitely meeting each other again. 
and what should be another exciting fight. But uh, again, just kind of the setup for the entire night. Not a lot of expectation going in, and they put on one hell of a show. Absolutely. Um, Bragg didn't get a win this week. He went 0 4. I'm, I'm not, I can't talk. I, I was only 1 3. Year to date, the Bragg man is a 10 and 10, 500. So even when he's even when he's off and he's a little rusty, still hitting over 50%. I am at uh, 13 and 7, or a mighty 65%. <laughs> Moving forward. <laughs> All right, let's get to the rankings. We got the October rankings here, the fresh off the press, ultimate fight show. I'll start with the heavyweights. We got the champion from my hometown, Stipe Miosic, fresh off the W, 16-2 and two and still. At number two is the man he took the strap from, Fabrizio Verdum, 21-6, and six, one draw. We'll see what happens with him. We have Kane Velasquez at 14-2. and two. Now, the rumor brag is that Stipe is going to take some time off because he's had a busy schedule. He doesn't want to fight again, he said, until the spring or maybe even the summer. So now Dana White is going to have Fabricio Verdum and Cain Velasquez fight each other in that rematch, and the winner will become the number one contender. Is that is that the right move? Yeah, I think so. Um, Myosik has – really, he's earned a – break. Uh, he has been nonstop. He's He's won fights, asked for fights. He stepped in on short notice uh, to win the title even, I believe. So, you know, he, he's been a very busy guy. He's done everything he's been asked to do. Um, he deserves a time off. Hell, Cain Velasquez went, what, a year, almost a year and a half without defending a title due to injury, uh, pulling out of fights, whatever the case may be. But um, as far as making the match between Verdum and Velasquez, um, I think that's, that's a good fight. I, I think it's a fight that uh, definitely needs to happen. I think Verdum, if Verdum did not take that fight, I still think he could have held out for a title rematch. But as it is, Velasquez and Verdum are going to fight uh, two of the top three heavyweights in the world and should be another hell of a fight. Absolutely. At number four, we got Junior Dos Santos. Number five, Ben Rothwell. Number six, Alistair Overeem, who just lost his first title shot ever in the UFC. Josh Barnett is at seven. Vitaly Minikoff, 18-0. and 0. We're going to keep an eye on that name moving forward. Andre Arlowski, nine, and Travis Brown at number 10. Brad, take us through the light heavyweights. Of course, your light heavyweight champion right now is Mr. Daniel Cormier, D.C., at 18-1. Number two is Anthony Johnson. Number three, Alexander Gustafson. Number four, Darth Ryan Bader. Uh, number five, Wilbur Teixeira. Number six is Phil Davis. Uh, he's got a fight coming up. Looking forward to that. Number seven is Liam McGreary. Number eight, Owen St. Preux, who we'll talk about fighting this weekend. Uh, number nine is Quentin Rampage Jackson. And number ten, um, another guy just hanging around is King Mo Lawal. Absolutely. And now the middleweights, which are going to be featured here, UFC 204. Michael Bisping, 29-7. and seven. I, I don't know, if, correct me if I'm wrong, he either has the most wins in UFC history or he's tied with Tito Ortiz. I, I, I believe he may be tied. I, I think he's uh, 
He's right okay. here on the cusp of uh, setting a record there, which is hard. Can you imagine? Did you ever think that Michael Bisping, coming out of season two of The Ultimate Fighter, would still be around, what, 10 years later? Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's interesting. We're going to. We'll get into it when we uh, break down it, but I, when I was doing my research looking at his fight history and everything, it, it's kind of amazing to think that Bisping was, was – wasn't he season two winner? Yes, season two. Yeah, and it's just weird that him and Rashad Evans fought to a draw and that, uh, you know, he it, – it's just when you look at his resume, we'll get into it in a little bit. We got Rock Rockhold at 15-3, and three, the man he took the strap from. He's interested to get back into things. We got Chris Weedman. He'll be there, another former champion. He'll be fighting at Madison Square Garden in his hometown, UFC 205. We still have a tie against uh, the man he will be fighting, Joel Romero, and then Jacques Ray Sosa. We got Vitor Belfort at six against Gegard Mousafi, who's number seven. That's the co-main event Saturday. Anderson the Spider at eight, Robert Whitaker at nine, and Derek Brunson fresh off his win against Uriah Hall at 10. Brag, take us through the welterweights. Welterweights, the champion, Tyrone Woodley at 16-3, will be taking on the number two ranked um, challenger, Stephen Thompson. I believe that's happening at Madison Square Garden in November. Looking forward to that. Uh, number three, the former champion, Robbie Lawler. Number four, Damian Maya. Number five is Ben Askren. Number six, Rory McDonald. Those two guys will be facing... Uh, meeting each other soon in Bellator, I feel like. Uh, number seven, the natural-born killer, Carlos Condit. Number eight, Andre Koreskala. Uh Number nine is the cowboy, Donald Cerrone. And number 10, Kelvin Gastelum, which takes us to yeah, the lightweights, Larry. Just a little comment on the welterweight. So so I'm checking the odds because, you know, we have a lot of uh, gamblers that listen to the show and stuff. And do you believe that Thompson is a two-to-one favorite over Woodley? who's the champion. A lot of disrespect, a lot of, a lot of people overlooking Tyrone and what he did to Robbie. Uh, I, I don't know. That could, that, that's going to be an interesting fight. And also Cowboy Cerrone making his debut on the Ultimate Fight Show's welterweight rankings. Lightweight champion Eddie Alvarez at number one, 28-4. Kebab Nurmagomedov at 23-0. Many people feel that he should be getting the shot. He has now said, Khabib said that uh, to Dana that if he doesn't get a title shot next, he's out of the UFC. A lot of gauntlets being thrown down by uh, some of these uh, fighters getting a little sick of the, the antics going on over there. We got Dos Anjos at three, Nate Diaz at four, Tony Ferguson at five, Michael Johnson moving up in a major way after the win against Dustin Poirier at number six, Benson Henderson at seven, Edison Barbosa at eight, Will Brooks even though he lost, keeps his ranking at nine, and Michael Chandler debuting at number 10 at lightweight. Brag the featherweights. Yeah, and top the featherweight off is the guy that's, you know, got the spotlight on him right now, Conor McGregor. And just just to touch on what you said, I I don't blame these guys. I mean, these guys have earned title shots. Khabib has earned a title shot. Jose Aldo has earned a title shot rematch, I think. you know, a lot of these guys are just, they're doing what they're asked to do. They're knocking off guys, put in front of them, one by one. And, you know, the guy who is talking his way into title matches and into main events. And 
it's exciting. I know the fans, he's hot. The fans love him right now. But, you know, at some point, you've got, you've got to take care of your fighters that have earned their spot. I, I've never agreed with that. But, you know, that's, that's business. They're making a hell of a lot more money than I am right now. So can't really argue with the success. But uh, the featherweight ranking is, of course, the number one featherweight in the world is Mr. Conor McGregor. Uh, number two is the interim champion, Jose Aldo. Number three Frankie the Sir Edgar, number four, Max Holloway. This is another guy who deserves a title shot. Number five, Anthony Pettis. Number six, Chad Mendez. Number seven, Daniel Strauss. Number eight, Cub Swanson. Number nine, the Pitbull, Patricio Freire. And number 10, Mr. Miles Jury. What about the bantamweight, Chelsea? Yeah, the bantamweights, we got champion Dominic Cruz. He's waiting. We'll see what happens with him. T.J. Dillashaw at two. John Lineker now at number three coming off the win. Jimmy Rivera coming off of his win against Uriah Faber at four. Rafael Anuncio at five. Billabona Fernandez at six. Johnny Dotson drops to seven. Brian Caraway at eight. Marlon Moraes at nine. And Uriah Faber at ten. Back to what you were saying, Bragg, about Connor McGregor. I feel like... I feel like with McGregor, it's kind of like, you ever seen the movie Zoolander? (laughs) Years ago, I didn't even care to try the second one. (laughs) Well, it's like like when Will Ferrell says, Hansel, he's so hot right now, Hansel. That's how I feel about Connor. It's just like, whatever he wants to do, they're going to let him do. If this guy wants to fight six times a year, they might let him. Bragg, tell us about the flyweights. Of course, the number one uh, flyweight in the world is also one of the top, if not the top, pound-for-pound fighter in the world, Mr. Demetrius Johnson. We'll find out those rankings in just a few moments. Uh, Number two is Joseph Benavidez. Number three is Henry uh, Cejudo. Number four is Kyoji Hiroguchi. Number five is Uncle Creepy Igibacal. And number six is Josier Da Silva. All right, the women's bantamweight. We got the champion, Amanda Nunes. She's waiting to see what's going to happen with Ronda. Chris Cyborg at number two. We've already talked about her. She's the best woman, female fighter in the world. Number three, Ronda Rousey. Number four, Misha Tate. Five, Juliana Pena. Val Shevchenko is six. Holly Holm, seven. Kat Singano, eight. Sarah McMahon at nine. And Alexis Davis at ten. Now, Bragg, you have an interesting story with Sarah McMahon. Do you want to tell our listeners? Uh, yes. Yeah, so over the weekend, I was uh, called to judge a conflict MMA event, which is which is the premier promotion in the Southeast, uh, conflict MMA based out of Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I was judging the event, and one of the guests there was uh, with Sarah McMahon. I actually got to meet her and speak to her for a moment. It was very brief. Uh, she's a very pleasant young lady. Um, very nice, very cordial, um, taking pictures with everyone, just a, just a really uh, pleasant experience. And hope to get in touch with her um, in the near future to get her on the show so we can discuss uh, what's going on in her career. But, uh, yeah, uh, it, was, it was pretty awesome. Absolutely. How'd that, uh, how, how'd that experience go for you? Uh, meeting Sarah McMahon or the fight itself? No, Ref in the fights. Uh, well, I was actually a judge. I was actually a judge for the fights. 
I didn't rest the fight. It, it was a good show. It was a uh, very good night of fights. Um, a couple of uh, fights in the crowd uh, between two different between two camps, um, which was a interesting experience. A little bit of controversy throughout the night, but um, overall, yeah, it was a very good show. Very exciting. Like I said, they're the top promotion in the southeast. <clears throat> Always put on um, uh, a great event. Uh, you know, just a class. Class act all the way, and I really look forward to um, working their event. So, also got to meet. Uh, I don't didn't catch his last name, but he is a he's one of the top cut men for Bellator. His name is uh, Brandon. Can't think of his last name, but uh, he is exclusive with Bellator at that level as well. And I'm hoping to get in touch with him. I wouldn't mind bringing him on uh, the show as well. He could give us a very unique perspective. On some of these fighters, so um, got got a little bit brewing uh, for the Ultimate Fight Show. A lot of lot of exciting news come out of Saturday night for me. So uh, uh, stay tuned. Absolutely. Um, was the Bragman's expertise called on? Did you have to deliver a scorecard? Uh, I did. I did quite a few. No, nothing. None of the the decisions we made. I believe there were twelve fights that night. I believe. Five of them went to a decision. Um, none of them were very close, so my night was fairly easy and uneventful. Uh, a lot of the controversy happened with a few questionable stoppages. I thought the stoppages were done pretty well. Uh, a good friend of mine and one of the great referees in the region, Mr. Justin Brown, uh, was unfortunately at the center of both of those stoppages, but it was that one of them was an amateur fight, and anytime there's an amateur in the ring, in the cage or in the ring, uh, they always err on the side of caution. Safety is the number one priority for the referees. Fighter safety is the number one priority for the referees. So, when there's a, especially when there's an amateur fight, these young guys, um, a lot of times they don't know their body and their reactions well enough. Uh, to know when to say when, and the fighters have to step in and make those, and the referees have to step in and make those decisions for them. So, I think they were good stoppages. The other one was actually the heavyweight title fight uh, for tonight. We've got an and new champion um, coming out of conflict MMA, but again, a lot of people thought it was a early stoppage. Uh, the crowd reacted. Uh, I believe there's uh, there was questions about a blow to the back of the head. I didn't see that, but. Regardless, it was a very exciting night of fights, and again, I look forward to uh, working future events for them. Absolutely. You want to take us through the strawweights? Oh, yes, the women's strawweight division. Uh, Joanna Dretrick, uh, 12-0, is the champion there. Carolina uh, Kowalki at 10-0 is number two. Claudia Gadella at number three. Jessica Andrade at number four. Carla Espraza at number five, and Miss Jessica Aguilera is ranked number six in the women's strawweight division at 19 and five. Number seven, Tisha Torres, seven and one. Number eight, the beautiful Paige Van Zant. Number nine is Joanna Caldwood, and number ten is Valerie Letourneau, uh, hanging around at eight and five. Definitely the hardest division to pronounce the names of the people in the division. Good job, Bragg. <laughs> All right, and it's, and it's a pretty good, it's a pretty stacked division as well. 
Uh, if you're not taking, paying attention to those girls at 115, take a look because they are they always put on great show, great performances. Absolutely. Pound for pound list. Let's start with the notables. We have Nate Diaz, Robbie Lawler, Joseph Benavidez, uh, Wonder Boy Stephen Thompson, and the middleweight champion Michael Bisping. And number 10 on the pound for pound list, Tyrone Woodley. Number nine, Frankie Edgar. Number eight, TJ Dillashaw. Number seven, Stipe Miosic. Number six, Jose Aldo. Brad, take us through the top five. We'll start the top five off with the lightweight champion, Mr. Eddie Alvarez. Number four is the light heavyweight champion, Daniel Cormier. Number three, the often-mentioned Conor McGregor. At number two, we've got Dan Dominic Cruz. And at number one, the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world is Mighty Mouse, Mr. Demetrius Johnson. All right. Um, some other news and notes just for our listeners. I was able to speak with uh, – Actually, the guy that helped get the show started, uh, Greg Mitchell, who is the founder of the UltimateSportsTalk.com website that the Bragman and myself have uh, had the privilege to get started with and to write with. And uh, so you're now going to be able to have the Ultimate Fight Show streaming on their loop 24 hours a day, along with some other premium shows that they have featured. We're going to have Greg Mitchell on the show next week for an interview to tell us a little bit more about his platform and what's going on with him. But uh, yeah, we're going to be doing some cross promotions and a lot of interesting stuff is going to be happening, especially with um, the Bragman refereeing. I'm going to start refereeing and judging again. And uh, Greg Mitchell was able to, to, I I never got to tell you this, Bragg, but uh, he has contacts with the Bellator and I guess they call them all the times for interviews, so he said he's going to start sending that all our way. So we're going to start having a lot more interviews on the Ultimate Fight Show, and, you know, I think that this is really, you know, the what we needed and what we were talking about when we came back a month ago about taking this show to the next level. Brad, a lot of exciting news to process. Any thoughts for the listeners? No, man, that's, that, that's very exciting. That's pumped. Yeah, I knew you spoke to Greg. Um, I hadn't talked to you since that conversation, so yeah, it's very exciting to hear that he's um, on board with helping promote the show. I've been getting notifications that we're airing online at the UltimateSportsTalk.com website. Check that out. They and there's not just MMA and boxing like we cover, but I mean they cover everything from football to uh, baseball, uh, basketball, professional wrestling. I mean I believe they cover the entire gamut. So. Anything you're really interested in, definitely check that out. Greg Mitchell is a uh, super great guy. And, yeah, if he could get us connected with uh, more guy, more uh, individuals from Bellator, that would definitely uh, give us a little bit of a shot in the arm to give us a little more momentum going forward. And uh, just great, man. I'm, I'm excited. I'm pumped. Uh, it seems like we've we started about, again, like you said, about a month ago. We got started again. Slowly, 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 we're starting to get the wheels turning, and uh, just very exciting. Um, you know, happy to be doing it. As my late great Nana used to say, "Stick and stay is bound to pay." Anyways, uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot, lot of exciting things happening with the Ultimate Fight Show. Greg, we're gonna do a little new segment here for the for the listeners. It's the it's the Ultimate Fight Show wish list. So 
in lieu of the news that we just talked about and some of the, you know, I was at UFC 203, you you were just at an event in uh, South Carolina, things percolating. Who's your dream interview, Bragg? If you could interview one fighter from the UFC, who would it be and why? Wow, that's that, that's pretty good. I I remember when we first started the show, I guess five years ago, I, I said the MacGuffin for this this show would be Randy Couture. He's the one guy I really wanted to talk to <laughs> and kind of have a, a conversation with. Now, I'd always wanted to speak with Brock Lesnar. Uh, he's just so unavailable. You know, he's a guy yeah. that's just so far out there. Um, of course, I'd love to talk to him about the pro wrestling side of it as well. But if you wanted to, one guy right now, if there was one guy I thought that we could grab that could really just bring us attention and that we could get so much out of, and I'm not going to go with the obvious, Conor McGregor, because I, I think he's probably a lot of people's number one. I think a guy like George St. Pierre would be absolutely phenomenal to interview. I, th- I think he would might be my number one yeah. pick right now. Yeah, that's uh, I, I like the way that you reminded the listeners of five years ago and who we would have picked. I believe my pick five years ago was Randy Couture as well. Uh, it's Captain America, you know. That's the guy that well, – you, you wanted to talk. Well, if I'm you remember, we, we if you remember we uh, we chased him a little bit. I I gotten in touch with his PR rep. Uh, he, they were going to line that up for us when his he was. I think he was filming one of the Expendable movies, and uh, they were going to. She was going to try to line that up for us between breaks, and then something happened and schedules got mixed up. But uh, we were close. Uh, we were actually on the hunt, and. Then, and if we can get some traction we'll here, maybe maybe that's one we can still uh, go after. We'll get them. Uh, for me, though, for me right now, I would say it's a tie. One fighter, one personality. I would say off the when he's done with the UFC, which he's slowly phasing himself out now, I absolutely think that Joe Rogan would be a fascinating interview just because – he brings such a plethora of different information from so many different walks of life. I mean, if you listen to the Joe Rogan experience, you know, you'll, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, but not only that, but from his great friendship with Eddie Bravo and, you know, being firsthand, he's had a firsthand seat to, you know, a telescope. He's been our lens for the UFC to the viewers at home. So I just think, and he's not a guy that's going to sugarcoat it for us either. No, and that's why I said even I still think that he even holds back a little bit. They just I just watched an interview with him and Dana White on Sports Center today, and you know you he, he kind of jumped over Dana and said some things, and then he was kind of like, oh, okay, I'll stop. And you know I I think we need to get him in about a year or two when he's done because that would be great for fighter. Um. I just think because, again, he's such an interesting guy, such a – he was a world champion, retired at the top. I think Boss Rooted would just be a great interview for so many different – Ah, you know, yes. He, the guy's seen, seen fights from all over the world. 
and I just think it would just be such a and then and then we could also talk about his workout tapes. We used to train up at my buddy's school, and he, we had the Boss Rudin workout tapes in the background, and it's one of the funniest things ever. The the tape starts out with Boss talking, and he's like, "Yeah, you, your girl saw me at my last fight." Blah blah blah. It's like him talking shit to you to like do his workout, and then he starts doing his. It, it's really funny, but it. I challenge anybody to do his workout completely at the level he does. It's crazy. Uh, with that, we are going to move into a little sweet science here at the Ultimate Fight Show. The boxing segment here, a little sweet science at the Ultimate Fight Show. Brag, real quick, because we are starting our multi-level platform, we got a game seven, I mean, a playoff game about to start here. The New York Mets at home against San Francisco. It's four against Baumgartner. Huge game. Who do you like tonight? Yeah, absolutely. You know I love baseball. and I will say this, uh, just, just before we get into this, I'm a diehard Atlanta Braves fan. I'm a Georgia boy at heart. I'm a Georgia homer. And the Braves, one of the hottest teams in baseball in the last month of the season and the last two weeks of the season, they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. And I, they will win a World Series within the next three years. I'm calling it now. Wow. Anyway. Old state. I like Freeman. <laughs> I like Freddie. I like him. Yeah, the Braves are just going to be so fun to watch. But, uh, you know, it's going to be – that's going to be a good game. It's going to be an interesting game to watch. Uh, they're playing in City Field in New York, correct? Correct. Yeah. My initial instinct is to say the Mets are going to win that game. However, if you look at patterns, it's an even year. And the it last, is. what, three even years, the Giants have won the World Series out of nowhere. They have. So um, – <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go with history here, and I'm gonna say the Giants squeak through uh, this wild card game and make it to the divisional round. Yeah, my prediction is this: it's I I'm glad you brought up the even year. I agree 100. percent I've told people that these two teams have met each other ten times this year, with the Mets winning six. No, no, they've met nine times. It's five to four, New York, but. It's Madison Baumgartner, 7-0 and on the road in the postseason, the greatest ERA at 0.60 in the history of baseball. We're talking about Sandy Kopex, you know, Nolan Ryan, anybody that's ever postseason baseball, Madison Baumgartner is the number one road pitcher. He's a big game pitcher. Giants win tonight 3-1. to I think Baumgartner strikes out a dozen. That's that that's that's a uh, very legitimate pick. I, I I can't argue with that whatsoever. Uh, All right, Mad Bomb, as they call him, is just a beast in the playoffs. Absolutely. All right, sweet science. A lot of things to talk about. Not a lot of fights, but doesn't stop these guys from making headlines. Heavyweight champion of the world, Tyson Fury. We talked about it last week on the show with the, uh, you know, the canceling of the Klitschko rematch for the second time. 
him saying that he's never going to fight again, he's having mental problems, suicidal thoughts. Here we find out that he tested positive for cocaine when he was in the rehab facility, and so he's been on that. Now, this is an interesting – the reason I bring this up, Brad, besides the fact that, you know, we're a boxing and MMA show, but I, I heard a, a, a guy on ESPN say something that I thought was pretty off-script but genius, and he was like, you know, why are we even talking about what this guy does in his private life? Cocaine is not a performance-enhancing drug. As long as he's not on cocaine during a fight, which he's never tested positive for, why are we talking about this? It's not a banned substance. It's not anything. It would be like you or me having a beer or smoking a cigarette or, or a joint. You know what I mean? And, like, and they do have a point. I guess, I guess we talk about it because, you know, he's a public figure. But, yeah, what are your thoughts on that, Greg? Uh, well, yeah, I think it's magnified by – just the series of events that's happened. You know, he, he has a little bit of a mental breakdown. He goes and um, goes in and then tests positive for cocaine. So it, it just leads to, begs the question is, you know, what is really going on with Tyson Fury? And, you know, is it, is it a situation where he's not able to control himself? You know, it, is it an addiction there? Is, it, is that what the um, emphasis of the problem is? Who knows? Uh, just wish him all the best. You know, it, as upset as it is to lose the fight, um, the rematch with Klitschko, uh, really, you you want him to be healthy and you want him to come back and have a quality of life that's worth living. And you know, when you are in a situation where you you know, get caught in drugs, um, that can really affect that. So. Uh, nothing but the best to Tyson Fury. Uh, hopefully he'll recover. Hopefully he'll be able to get past this, and you know, for our own selfish pleasure, get back into the ring and uh, fight again. So, uh, good luck to him there. All right, uh, David Hay, December tenth, will be fighting in his return in England. My question is, does anyone care? Brad, what do you think? Supposedly he's in shape. Supposedly, his toe is not hurt. <laughs> Supposedly, he's ready to try to w- win the heavyweight title now that Klitschko's not the champion. Brad, what do you what what do you give David Hayes chances of getting himself, or should I say, talking himself into a title fight against one of the Alphabet Soup champs? Well, I, I just want to throw this excuse out there right now. If anybody listens to the show and says that I've misspoke at any time during this show. It's because I've got a blister on my heel. All right, I just want to put that out there right now. Uh, yeah, it, he's going to have to win a couple of fights. He's going to have to come back and win and be impressive. Uh, he, he's still a factor after all this time, or he still could be a factor, let me say that, after all this time. Uh, but he's going to have to come back, and he's going to have to win fights. Uh, simple as that. He's going to have to get himself um, to a position where he's going to have to fight contenders. Um, if he wants to make some noise, I mean, now's the time to do it. you got Tyson Fury, um, who's down right now. So the heavyweight title could really be up for grabs uh, very shortly. So David Hay, with an impressive win, could put himself back into that conversation. Yeah, I mean, whatever you say about David Hay, he does make excuses from time to time. But we can't deny the fact that he does have heavy hands and – 
he's a very good athlete, like a world-class athlete. So who knows? Triple G, Daniel Jacobs, December 10th. It's not 100% official, but that's the date that's being targeted by HBO. Greg, is this the best fight that can be made while we, while the Canelo and Triple G camps circle each other? If it's not the best, it's pretty damn close. That's um, that's going to be a good fight. Of course, you know, we got, uh, I believe, Ward Kovalov coming up. Uh, Five weeks. You know, that's, yeah, that's the fight that everybody's got um, circled on their calendar, but then right after that, um, I, I, I think Triple G and Jacobs is uh, the fight that's going to take us into the new year. Just going to be an exciting fight. I'm looking forward to covering that one. Absolutely. All right. Uh, two more things. We got the uh, Hall of Fame ballots for this year's class are due on Halloween. We'll have the results in December, but uh, the three newcomers who are eligible for the first year are the real deal of Vander Holyfield, one of the greatest of all time, the only four-time heavyweight champion ever. He is pretty much a shoe-in. Marco Antonio Barrera, the baby-faced assassin, he'll be there as well. And the late, great Johnny Tapia, a man who's always battled his demons, may rest in peace, but uh, he should be in the hall as well. Bragg, thoughts on that uh, voting class? Uh, that's a pretty good class. Of um, Like you said, it's three guys who uh, should get in. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see the reaction with Tapia. But, uh, yeah, no, absolutely, all three are deserving, uh, more than deserving uh, fighters. Yeah, if you ever uh, – for those of you listeners out there, if you've never seen uh, Tapia, the documentary on Johnny Tapia's life that HBO did, so a very powerful piece of uh, documentary film, and I definitely suggest watching that. And finally, we just passed the uh, 41st anniversary of the greatest fight of all time, the Thriller in Manila, October 2nd, 1975. Um, if you follow our social media, you saw that I tweeted a couple things on our Instagram page as well. But, uh, Brag, let's talk a little bit. We still haven't had our Muhammad Ali tribute, and uh, we'll have that special coming up. But uh, thoughts on the fight? Your greatest fight ever? Uh, again, if it, if it's not the greatest, it's pretty damn close. It's in the conversation. Just It's one of those fights that when you talk about the thriller, you know, the thriller in Manila, everybody knows it. Back then – as we've, as we've alluded to in the past, and I still contend it's true, the heavyweight title in boxing is the crown jewel. It is the upper echelon. It's the highest honor. The creme de la creme. That, the creme de la creme that, you know, really an individual sport. I mean, of course, golf has the Masters. Tennis has Wimbledon. Um, you know, but the heavyweight champion of the world is the guy baddest man on the planet and back then the world stopped to watch the heavyweight title that is that was a powerful powerful thing it boxing had such an influence over how sports were covered on television you know 
before that, the heavyweight title, you know, families would stand and sit around and listen to it on the radio. It's just a mm-hmm. magical, magical uh, piece of history. And, of course, you know, it's a thrill in Manila. Um, as I like to say, what could be said that has not already been said? Just uh, it's a fantastic historical um, moment in time. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, and again, I've been watching, I've been in love with the sport of boxing since probably I was about three years old. And in all my thousands of fights that I've seen or watched or participated in, to me, it's the, it's the greatest fight of all time. And the reason for all the things that you said, but for my personal reason, you know, the, the listener, the people that listen to this show listen to us because they want to hear our opinions and they like the lens in which we see things through. And, and for this fight, to me, I mean, you have the two, you have the two greatest heavyweights of that era of a 15 year period that is considered by anybody that knows anything about boxing to be the greatest heavyweight era of all time. You have them meeting for the third time when each is best as the other once you have it for the heavyweight championship of the world, meaning that one of them is still keep still kept the crown through these 10 year period. And then you have them fighting in a foreign country where the entire people are all there to see it. It's televised. It, it, it was, it was just the biggest, the best. And then the fight that took place in that ring to me and this is, again, to quote, you know, and I sent this out there on the Twitter and whatnot, but to quote Ali, the closest thing to death that, that two men could ever, you know, go to. I, in an organized death. You know, I mean, obviously people, you know, who aren't fighters, you know, have been in horrible situations in the world. But this, these two people agreed to fight each other with rules and gloves and waged a savagery that we haven't seen since. The only thing that I can put even close to this and it happened on a smaller scale, is when Jose Luis Costello fought Casamayor, and they fought, you know, an epic fight. I mean, Diego Corrales, I mean, and they fought, you know, and Corrales came back and knocked him out in the tent. But that was dudes that weighed 135 pounds. This was, these were guys that were 220, 230, fighting not only for the heavyweight championship of the world, but for the heavyweight championship of each other. And Ali, you know, and then we come to find throughout the years and the documentaries and the stories later that Joe Frazier fought his entire career blind in his, in his right eye from a, from a thumb accident injury in the Olympics. So he went out there and did that with one eye. And that's why Eddie Futch, who had lost five, previous boxers recognized the sign and shut it down, you know, and shut it. And, and you and I, had, we, we had shows before where we talked about this on the anniversary of uh, the fight where, you know, should, should, should Eddie Futch have let Joe go out on his sheet? You know, do, do you let the guy go out there and get knocked out or get killed? Because, you know, that's how it had to be. Or, you know, it, it just, it, it, to me, it's the greatest fight of all time because of 
you can look at it from so many different angles and it will still lead you to that same place that it's the best thing you've ever seen. And we're going to put it up. We put it up before on the Facebook page. We're, uh, we'll, we'll have it put up for, uh, you know, the listeners and the fans to see. But, again, just a whole generation has never seen this fight, Brag, and it's definitely something that you need to see. So. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, one, just one thing to put – you talk about, um, you know, it's, it's so hard to compare fights. You know, when you talk about the greatest fight of all time, it's so hard to compare fights to one another because those 10 to 12 rounds in a capsule or, you know, if you're looking at MMA, you got three to five rounds, whatever the case may be. You look at those, you know, in a, in a capsule, and they could be the most exciting fight. One of the most exciting fights I've ever seen was – the the original Ultimate Fighter between Stephen Bonner and Forrest Griffin. I was yeah. telling people about that for weeks after. I mean, that's just, oh my God, you haven't seen that fight. You need to go watch that fight. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's just, but the stars, every star in the universe aligned for the Thrilla in Manila. It was just one of those things. It was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And just the one of the lasting, just the, when when Eddie Futch stopped the fight and Ali just kind of, keep in mind that Ali had, he was exhausted by that point too. I mean, the, the, you know, he's even said he didn't know if he really, really wanted to answer the bell at that point either. Uh, he was just yeah. He told, he told Angie to cut him off. He, he was done. Yeah, you know, <laughs> just the exhaustion in his face and just the reaction where he just kind of stood up and put his hands up. To me, that just that was the exclamation point on, like you said, and I can't argue with it. The greatest fight of all time. Absolutely, it's uh, again, it's just one of those fights where. It, it just means so many different things to to so many different people. But I think the late the, the late great Bert Sugar said it best, and he said, "Someday when ring historians gather around boxing smoldering campfire to tell stories of great fights, going all the way back to the time when spectators wore grapes in their hair and lions ate the losers, one fight from that long laundry list will be remembered as having been." one of the greatest two-sided fights in boxing history, Ali Frazier three. I don't think that there's anything else that needs to be said after that, you know. <laughs> All right, so moving on now, again, not a lot of fights to call in boxing. We talked about this on the last couple shows, that it's kind of a dead period right now for the sweet science. So we're going to go through the October 2016 rankings real quick, and I'll start. We got – uh Shinsuke Yamanaka, who defended his uh, flyweight, I mean, uh, yeah, junior fly, super flyweight title. Mikey Garcia coming back undefeated after a long layoff. Is Randy Lara, Danny Garcia, Adonis Stevenson, the lineal light heavyweight champion of the world. Carl Frampton, Tim Bradley, Cal Brook. Bragg, take us 10 through 6. With pleasure. Number 10. Is Mr. Keith Thurman. He's 27 and 0 with 24 KOs. 
Number nine is Vasil Lomachenko at six and one. The guy, he's got the least amount of fights on anybody on this list, and he's a guy to watch out for. He will be moving up in these rankings over the next year, I guarantee you. Number eight is Guillermo Rigondeau at 17-0 with 11 KOs. Number seven is Canelo Alvarez at 48-1. Number six is Terrence Crawford, 29-0 with 20 knockouts. Uh, you want to start at number five? Yeah, number five is Manny Pacquiao, who we'll see November 5th against Jesse Vargas. We got Gennady Gennadonovich, Slovakin, or known as Triple G at number four. At number two, Andre Ward, Sergey Kovalov, November 19th. That date is circled. Circle the wagons, lock the door, and hide the key. It's going to be a war. We'll find out who's number one there. And for the meantime, Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez is the number one pound-for-pound fighter on the planet. So, two fights to cover this week from boxing. Overall for the year to date, I'm 16 and 2. The Bragman, one behind, is 15 and 3, picking the sweet science for you. So, let's start it off here. We got Orlando Cruz, 24 and 4, with one draw, 12 knockouts, taking on Gambino Cotto, 18 and 4, with uh, one draw, 12 knockouts. Now, Cotto, this is a rematch, Bray. This is a, a rematch from their fight that they had two years ago. There's really not a lot to talk about in this one. These guys are 130-pounders. Cruz is most famous for being the first openly gay athlete. Um, he, he he won an, an alphabet suit belt. Him and Cotto are going to go to war again. I suspect that Cruz will win another unanimous decision like he did last time. Bragg, what are your thoughts? Who are you picking? Yeah, I'm actually going to go the other way here. Cotto's I, I, got some knockout power that he's shown. Uh, Cruz, not so much. Uh, as you said, Cruz won a decision uh, when they fought a year or so ago. It was a hard-fought decision. Uh, Cruz is older. Cotto's got a little more experience now. And I think uh, Gabino Cotto um, upsets him in the ninth with a TKO victory. And that will set up a rubber match between the two, which should gather some pretty good fanfare uh, next year. What round? I'm calling it in the ninth. And I'll go with Cruz by UD. And then that brings us to the main event of the evening. Ricky Burns, 40-5, and five, one draw, 14 knockouts, defending his WBA 135-pound lightweight strap against Chiril Rillick, 21-0, 19 knockouts. The Mad B, as he's known, defeated Ioannis Canero by UD. He's an orthodox fighter, 26 years old, five foot nine. He's got a lot of power in his hands. Not real polished, though. His defense needs work, and his jab is just okay. But he does hit hard, and he could sting Ricky Burns. You know, the, if the, the Mad B could sting. On the other end of the equation, though, Burns making his first defense of the title coming off of that vacant win against Michelle DeRocco by TKO in the fifth. He's 5'10". Again, making that first defense, the Rickster, good jab. I think this is going to be an interesting fight because you got an undefeated fighter on one end who's hungry with power against the veteran with Ricky Burns who's defending the strap that he worked so hard to get. Greg, where are you going? Who do you like? You know, I think this is going to be a really good fight. Of course, uh, uh, Relic is trained by Ricky Hatton, 
Uh, and Ricky has been talking a lot during the media rounds this week. He is really pumped for this fight, and he really likes Rillick's chances to upset Burns here. Uh, it's a big step up in competition for him. Of course, Ricky Burns is fighting in his home country, in his hometown, so he is going to have the home court advantage, so to speak. He's also eyeing a possible fight with Adrian Bowler in the future, so um, Ricky Burns got a lot on the line here. I think he wins this fight, but I think it's one of those hard-fought decisions. And I think Relic is it's going to be one of those fights where Relic earns the respect of not only the crowd but of the boxing community. He's a young guy. He's got a lot of potential. This is going to be one of those fights at the end of the night where Ricky Burns earns a hard-fought unanimous decision victory. Yeah, I'm with you as well. I think Burns is going to – use his jab, dance around a little bit. He'll be in some tough spots in the early going, but I see him winning a 115 to 113 decision over Relic. All right, moving on now. It's finally it's finally the time that everyone's been waiting for that if you're listening right now, and that's UFC 204 from Manchester, England. The rematch, Bisbing versus Henderson. It's a it's a decent card. We got five fights on it that we're going to break down for you right now. Right now, and uh, we'll start with Brad Pickett against uh, Yuri Alcantara. Alcantara, thirty-two and seven. Pickett, twenty-five and eleven. A veteran of the sport. Both these guys. Brad, this is a bantamweight fight. Neither one of them's ranked. Who do you like in this one? You know, it's funny because I was actually reading an article that um, Brad Pickett himself uh, contributed to, and he was kind of reviewing the uh, fights on the card. <clears throat> and I'm not going to argue with it. He himself, um, how he described this fight, um, he said, I believe honestly that either of us could knock each other out, so it's going to be an exciting fight, but I believe I will win by either decision or by submission in round two or three. Um, he's given, he's given uh, um, Alicantra a lot of credit, but going in, I felt like Pickett would win the fight by decision. Um, I'm not going to argue with him here. He says he's going to do it, so I'm taking Brad Pickett winning by decision. As am I, Brad Pickett by unanimous decision. Moving on, we got Steven Strew, 27-8, and eight, the skyscraper, against Daniel Amalcharik. Six foot, nineteen and five. Skyscraper, eleven inches taller. The the only man in, besides Joe Santos, but this Strub actually knocked out the current heavyweight champion. Bragg, I like Strub to win by first round knockout. Who you got? Yeah, I do too. This is a this is a big fight for him to get himself back on track and uh, back into possible future contention. I I, I agree. I think Strub wins this fight. Uh, yeah, by TKO in the first round, late in the first round. All right, moving to light heavyweight, we got OSP, 19-8, and eight, against Jim, Jim Almanawa, 15-2. and two. We know about OSP. He fought Jones in his fight back, made a good showing for himself going all five, but he was clearly outclassed. Manawa, he's one of those guys who's he's heavy-handed, but he hasn't really been able to, you know, fight that top competition. Brad, who do you got in this one? Yeah, Menowah has, has been on the shelf for a little while with injury. He's 
his last fight was a loss to Anthony Johnson by KO. Of course, you mentioned St. Prue went the distance with John Jones back in April on short notice, by the way. Um, this is a tough fight for me. Um, my initial reaction is to say St. Prue uh, gets a stoppage here and gets a win, but Manawa is such a strong, strong fighter, and we're not sure exactly what we're going to see from him coming off of a, a year-long, a year-plus um, layoff. So, I, you know, I'm really torn on this fight. My initial reaction is to say Manawa gets an upset victory um, by KO here in the second round. Yeah, I'm going the other way. Same round, but... Uh different guy. I like uh, OSP. I think the first round will be a little shaky, and I could see Manawa, you know, catching him with a shot and uh, turning the lights out, but I feel like uh, OSP, he's conditioned. He's been in there with the best. He'll weather the storm and get him out of there in the second round by TKO. Which brings us now to the co-main event. Vitor Belfort, 25-12, and 12, the legend, against Gegard Mousasi, 39-6. and 6. Both of these guys are ranked 6th and 7th by the Ultimate Fight Show. Both of them are coming off of uh, wins. Bragg, break this one down for us. Who do you like? Yeah, this is going to be a great fight. I'm almost looking forward to this fight as much as I am the main event, maybe a little more. Vitor uh, Belfort's been one of my favorite fighters to watch for a long, long time. Uh, dude's been around the UFC since 1997. Um, and he's only gotten better. Of course, there's been... The long quarter suspicion of uh, steroids and enhancement abuse by Belfort. But he's got, even without that, he's got a lot of power and a lot of talent. Uh, Gegard Masasi, on the other hand, is a jiu-jitsu guy. He's a guy that you do not want to go to the ground with. Uh, But he can also strike as well. If Belfort wants to stand up, Masasi is going to be able to handle himself very well on the on its feet. I don't think that's where this fight goes. I think Musasi is able to weather an early storm by Belfort. Belfort may get has a tendency to get very aggressive, which will play right into Musasi's hands. I think Musasi gets the a submission victory over Vitor Belfort here, either late in the first round or in the second. I think Belfort chases him, maybe gets a little aggressive, goes to the ground. I think Musasi is able to catch him. That's so funny because I just wrote down Musasi by submission second round. <laughs> <laughs> Great uh, man, second line, brother. Yeah, you know, I, I think this, I can easily, I, I get tricked because I, I look at Belford and I want him to be that 18-year-old dude with the fastest hands that anyone's ever seen running across the ring and knocking dudes out cold. He's just not that fighter anymore. He's more mature. He still has knockout power. But, again, with the new testing – um, you know, with the testosterone replacement therapy being banned now and the drug testing, I don't think Belfort is going to be as effective as he was a couple of years ago. I think Musasi, he was Fedor Emelianenko's training partner for like 10 years. This dude's one of the best Sambo fighters in the world and jiu-jitsu. I think he'll get him on the ground. He'll tap him out. But don't be surprised. Again, I don't think that this is likely, but I'd say there's about a 10% chance that Belfort could knock him out cold in the first exchange. 
he just has like every time we count Belfort out, he uh, he surprises us and comes back with a huge victory. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all either. But um, I'm sticking with my I'm sticking with my pick. All right, and now the main event of the evening. This is the moment UFC fans around the world have been waiting for. It's time! It is time. It's the rematch. Manchester, England. They're going to fill a stadium. It's the world champion, Michael Bisping, 29-7. and Tied for the most wins in UFC history against Dan Henderson, aka Hendo, and that H bomb, 32 and 14. Bragg, this is a huge fight, and it, and, and I know I was listening to the Sports Center. I told you I saw an uh, interview with Rogan and Dana White, and the lady was asking them, you know, looking at this on paper, Bisbing's 29, Henderson is. 46, you know, or Bisbing's 32, whatever, either way. Henderson's 46, dude. That fight happened 10 years ago or nine years ago when he knocked Bisbing out cold and then got that extra shot in there that really put him to sleep. Frank, this is huge. You know, Bisbing brought up a good point, though, and this goes back to what we were just talking about with Belfer in the last fight. Bisbing's like, I'm not making any excuses, but Dan Henderson was getting TRT then, and now he's not. And he's like, so it's not really, it wasn't really fair. He's like, everything I've earned has been blood, sweat, and tears. Now Henderson has to prove that he can do that again 10 years later with no THT. Bragg, how's this thing going down Saturday night? Michael Bisbing, the two-to-one favorite over Hendo. Henderson is one of those guys. Again, he's another one of my favorite fighters of all time to watch. I mean, he's he is one of the great pound for pound fighters of all time. Don't forget, he held titles at middleweight and light heavyweight at the same time. Uh, in Pride, brought those over to the UFC. Um, he stepped up to fight at heavyweight. He beat Fedor Emelianenko uh, several years back. Just you, you can never count Dan Henderson out. He is a guy that. Every time you think he's done, he comes back with a big victory. Michael Bisbee is a guy who's hung around, and his resume is incredible. If you go take a look at his one-loss record, the dude has beat some of the greatest fighters of our time. I mean, just an absolute phenomenal career that Michael Bisbee has had. Last week, I believe I said that I, I could see this easily going Hendo's way with a, another H-bomb. Uh, and it really could, but the more I think about it and the more I look at it, and as I sat down and looked at it a little bit this afternoon, Michael Bisping is such a much better fighter. He's a lot more mature, and he his boxing, he does have knockout power. He doesn't have it a lot, but Michael Bisping can touch you, he can hurt you, and he can put you out of the fight. Just as Luke Rockhold, who was a guy in the prime of his career. We've seen Dan Henderson's chin is not what it was seven, eight years ago. Dan Henderson is a guy who can get hit. 
He doesn't mind getting hit in order to try to hit you. I don't think that's going to work out so well for Dan Henderson in this fight. I think Michael Bisping is going to go in with a good game plan. I think he's going to go in willing to box with Henderson. I think he's going to go in. He's going to touch Henderson. He's going to hurt him. And I think he finishes Dan Henderson off um, in perhaps the second or third round. I like Michael Bisping to win this fight by TKO stopping. I want to call it in the third round. I think that's another thing that Bisping has is conditioning. Henderson has great conditioning. He always has. But Michael Bisping conditioning is second to none, especially in that light heavyweight division. I'm sorry, in the middleweight division. I like Michael Bisping to stop Dan Henderson with TKO in the third round. And I think Henderson retires uh, for good after this fight. Wow. Lot lot of uh lot of things being said, a lot of opinions there, all valid. Now I'm gonna give you listeners my take on this fight. It reminds me of the movie Rocky Balboa, where Rocky <laughs> in his gotta be in his in his late fifties says he still has that fire in there and he's got to he's got to train he's got to you know he's got to get it out there and he gets Paulie together and he gets you know there's a dream fight thing Antonio Tarver remember he was the he was the uh champion of the world and then in real life he was and that was that was after the Jones knockout he lost his belt though to Bernard Hopkins after he made Rocky Balboa but uh back to what my my, my little analogy here I when they're going into the gym, Brag, and it's Apollo's Apollo's old trainer. You know what I'm talking about, the guy with the veins in his neck, mustache, bald head. Apollo was like a son to him. Um, you know, they go in there, and he's like, you can't beat him because your knees are shot. Well, Hendo can't go in there and take shots anymore because his jaw, his beard, he's got a serious one, but it's not as good as it used to be. I mean, it was indestructible. This is a dude who used to go in there and take shots from Rampage and from Anderson Silva and, you know, Vandalay Silva and all that stuff. But but just like in the movie, you can't do that. And you can't go all 12 rounds because your cardio shot. That's kind of how I feel here. Bisping's got one of the best gas tanks. Hendo doesn't have the tank he used to. And, again, if you add compound the fact that his – Beard is no longer the same. That's another. That's two negatives. So what is what what is what does Apollo's trainer tell Rocky? He goes, "You need blunt force, raw power. You got to hit him so hard you wake his ancestors up." All right. And the reason I'm saying this is because Hendo did hit Bisping so hard, his ancestors felt it. He's got a glass eye in his in his on his one side. He got that to me is one of the top five greatest knockouts in the history of the UFC. And the thing about Rocky, I know I'm using that to be funny and to paint, you know, a metaphor for this, but we saw, we've seen it before with George Foreman. Power is the last thing to go. It's the last thing to go. That's why there's old man strength. That's why there's dudes in the bars who are power drinking and still think that they can fight 20 year olds because Power's the last thing to go and experience. And I'm not saying Bisbing doesn't have the experience. 
because, again, he's got the most wins in UFC history, Bragg. But I'm saying, just like Rocky, Hendo had that fire in him. This is his last shot. He came into the UFC, if you recall, and if the listeners recall, as the pride champion at light heavyweight and middleweight. He got his first crack at Quentin Rampage and got beat. Then he got his second crack at Anderson Silva and got beat. He's never had another title shot in the UFC. Now, he, you know, he, he had the knockout at Fedor. He beat, you know, he revitalized his career, came back, fought in one of the greatest fights I've ever seen. It was the ultimate fight show fight of the year a few years back, that fight with, with, with Shogun. Unbelievable fight. This is his last chance. You nail, you, you said it in, in your conclusion here, your epilogue, that this is he's going to retire after he loses. I think win or lose, Dan Henderson, this is his last fight. And like Rocky, I think he's going to leave everything in the ring. And at the end of the night, and new champion of the world, Dan Henderson's going to land one of those punches. I'm going to say in the second round, he's going to hit him with, with something. I don't know if it's going to be, if it's going to be a leg kick. Cause a lot of people don't remember Bragg, but I went back and I watched that first fight with them. And it was, it was, it was a really good high level kickboxing fight. If you remember Henderson was landing some leg kicks. They were shooting over the top. Bisbing's throwing his leg kicks, and you would think that Henderson being the wrestler, and you remember how inexperienced Bisbing used to be on the ground. That's why Rashad Evans was able to do what he did, and he's had a couple other defeats to guys that could wrestle and control him. Hendo didn't do that. They, they were both striking. So I got to think that even, you did say, Bisbing has more experience now. He's ready, he's focused. But I don't think that he has the experience he needs to take this fight to the ground. He doesn't want to go to – can we agree that Bisbing doesn't want to go to the ground with Hendo? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Daddy Henderson is still a uh, uh, true All-American and Olympic-level wrestler. Uh, that, uh, again, that's one of those things you don't forget either. And so now back to my – just because I just wanted the listeners to have another voice in this. So – so Bisbing doesn't want to go to the ground, which tells me then that he's going to strike with Henderson. And that's going to give Henderson the opportunity that he needs. All he has to do is touch him one time. I don't care if Bisbing's chin's better. I don't care about the age, the experience, whatever. Your jaw does not get tougher. And Dan Henderson's got kryptonite in his right hand. And at some point, I don't know if it's going to be in the first round or if it's going to be in the second round, I can see Henderson coming in and Bisbing thinking that he's shooting or setting up a leg kick, and he just throws a feint and drops that right hand right over the top. And that's, that's my pick. Dan Henderson, by knockout, second round, and new, goes out like a gangster, like Randy Couture at 46 or George Foreman. And, you know, we talked about this earlier in the show about about fighting and about age and sports and stuff like that. And, you know, everyone always says the masters with Jack and it's like, Jack never had someone trying to throw a punch at his face while he was trying to punt. <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> George Foreman, George Foreman knocking out Michael Moore, who was 27 years old and undefeated, is still one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And Dan Henderson at 46, I believe, yeah, he would become the third person because no, no, he become the second person. Bernard Hopkins is the oldest person at 49 to hold a major title. Henderson at 46 would be a little bit older than George Foreman was when he knocked out Michael Moore. So, I mean, this is going to be a historic fight. One way or the other, I think Henderson, the quiet man, I think he's in Bisbing's head. I don't think you ever forget a beating like that. So that's what I'm putting my money. Now, Bragg, for the uh, for our gamblers out there, who, who's our safe pick? I, I'm leaning towards Steven Struve. He's going off at minus 175. I think he's going to get him out of there in the first round, and so do you. Would you say that that's the safest bet of the five we called? Yeah, yeah I would say so. I think Struve is uh, head shoulders above his opponent uh, come Saturday night, and I think he will. Uh, it's pretty much the guarantee that he'll get that win. And then your upset would be Manoa over OSP. OSP is about 150, three to two favorite. You're going with Manoa in that one. Again, real real quick recap, why for the listeners, for the gamblers? Manoa's got just awesome power. Uh, it's, 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 I'm just going with my gut here. I think uh, Manoa, like I said, he's got the power. Uh, he's He's been hurt, so he hasn't fought in over a year. He's so he's fresh. OSP um, coming off the loss to say, uh, to John Jones. Uh, I just I just feel like Manoa's gonna be focused. Uh, I think Manoa asked for this fight. Uh, he gets it, and uh, he's got a point to prove here. Absolutely, and for me, obviously, my upset of uh, my underdog pick at Dan Henderson at two to one. You a hundred dollars will win you almost two hundred. I, I think it's going off at like one eighty-five. So uh, that's my pick. Now uh, I don't know, Bragg, if you were aware of this, but I've been keeping track. And next week's show is our hundred and fiftieth episode of the Ultimate Fight Show. So we're gonna have a big show planned for you. We're gonna have an interview with Greg Mitchell. We're gonna, I'm gonna try to uh, line up someone from either the UFC or the ultimate, I mean, or, or boxing to uh, also have on the show. And we're going to try to reach out to Al Bernstein as well to see if he'll be on the show as well. Just, uh, it, it's 150 episodes. It seems like it was yesterday. Wow. Yeah. I, I was, I was not aware of that. There's uh, so much has happened. It, it, like you said, it seems like it was only yesterday we got started, but, so much has gone on and so much has happened uh, since that very first show back in 2011. Um, it's so hard to believe, but yeah, man, uh, very excited to have a little bit of a celebration next week. <laughs> Absolutely. And we got UFC fight night Manila coming from the mall of Asia in Peking, wherever that is. No, I'm kidding. We, I know. <laughs> but that, that fight's happening. Thursday, no, I'm that, that's from, uh, uh, you ever seen the movie I Spy with Eddie Murphy where he, he plays uh, Corey Robinson, the boxer? Uh, no, I have not. It's with Owen Wilson and Eddie Murphy. He, like, goes undercover to become, 
like, but he's kind of like 007, but he's the heavyweight champion of the world. And that was a reference for, for those listeners out there who know that movie. We got October 21st, we got a Bellator uh, 162 from Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, we'll see you. That should be um, pulling up the fight card right now. Just to give you guys a little, we got Kendall Grove against Alexander Shelomenko, who was the former champion, I believe. We got Bobby Lashley fighting Josh Elpit. Um, Ryan Couture, Randy Couture's son, he's going to be on there. And Kimbo Slice Jr., Kevin Ferguson Jr. is his real name. He's going to be fighting Rick Bing. So that'll be an interesting card to check out. Julia Budd's also going to be fighting on that. We know her name. Boxing, nothing really. We'll keep you posted on that. And uh, Bragg, is there anything you want to say to the listeners before we get out of there? And you, uh, Bragg, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tell you, you were right. Your George, I should have listened to you. Your Georgia Bulldogs, they, uh, they, they, they put up a hell of a game there against Tennessee, and they covered the spread. So, wow, what a, what a heartbreaker that was. Just a, I, I, <laughs> just a. <laughs> Very, very just shocking loss. It, it, it's unbelievable. And Georgia Bulldogs fans have a tendency to be so upset. And uh, I don't know why we want to blame the offensive coordinator so much. Uh, when you score 30, 30 plus points a game, you should win these games, you know. But your defense loses, uh, gives up 30 plus points a game. It just doesn't work. But uh, hey, the Falcons won. They had a big game. The Steelers won. They had a big game. Uh, how'd your Browns do this week? I have never been a Browns fan, but not good. I'm a I'm a Chicago <laughs> Bears fan since I was since I was born, and we actually uh, won against Detroit for the first time this year. So, but no, I, I know what you're saying with Georgia. I for me, the fact that Nick Chubb wasn't going to play, I thought it. I thought Tennessee was going to just kill them and then to have a game to have Eason throw that pass with 10 seconds left after they lost the lead and then to lose on a Hail Mary you got it's got to make you wonder if maybe Tennessee might have destiny on their side this year that's four comebacks from 10 points or more to win all four games in the first month of the season it's never happened in the history of college football well I Outside of Georgia, I, I do. I will say that I've always uh, rooted for Tennessee. I spent some time in Tennessee as a kid. I've got a lot of friends who still live in Knoxville. Uh, so I do have ties to the Tennessee Volunteers. And, of course, I heard all about it uh, Saturday night and Sunday. But uh, at least it wasn't Florida. I guess that's what I'll say. At least it wasn't the Florida Gators or the South Carolina Gamecocks who – Georgia comes to town this week. Uh, Georgia comes to Columbia, South Carolina to visit the uh, South Carolina Gamecocks. Depending on what happens with the Hurricane Matthew that's uh, blowing out the Atlantic coming up the coast, um, I might try to catch that game. I am not sure. Um, that's my first priority to do is trying to take care of that and take care of my family. Um, so, yeah, if you're in the southeastern United States, if you're in the path of this hurricane coming up, it is a nasty mother lover, let me tell you. Uh, Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. Heed the warnings. Uh, we're in a state of emergency right now. Heed the warnings. If you're told to evacuate, uh, please do so. Uh, don't don't try to fight Mother Nature because you will not win that battle. 
Absolutely. Sound advice from a sound man. On behalf of the Bragman, I'm your host, LC, saying thanks for stopping by to the Ultimate Fight Show. Good night. Are you ready? When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you loved the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift for 